Hey, shop owner, I need a favor. We need your help with our annual industry survey. This survey gives us a quick snapshot of your shop that we compile into a neatly packaged report so that you can see how shops across the industry are performing. Visit ratchetandrich.com and at the top of the page, click RW Industry Survey to get started. It takes about 15 minutes. Thanks. Welcome to Ratchet and Rinse Radio, an Endeavor business media podcast, bringing you strategies and inspiration for auto care success, featuring the voices of shop owners, thought leaders, and influencers from around the auto care industry. Today, my guest is Shari Pheasant. Uh, Shari is a people-first growth specialist who's been changing lives and company cultures for the past 30 years. Uh, if you went to the Ratchet & Rich Management Conference, you no doubt know Shari Pheasant uh, as she did teach one of our education sessions that was a packed house. Uh, Shari comes from a shop environment. Her husband is the owner of a master mechanic where she also helped her husband build the business before taking her transformational leadership strategies to the masses. Shara is going to sit down today and we're going to talk about what it means to get naked in business, really looking at ourselves as leaders, uh, really getting a good look at who we are on the inside so that we can project better on the outside to our teams and our people and why that matters. Why does it matter to be a people first business? And she's going to give you the strategies and tips to be successful in that. So I'm excited to bring Shari here after this message. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Can I tell you how fired up I am about the 2024 Ratchet & Lynch Management Conference happening September 12th through the 14th at the Renaissance Orlando at SeaWorld in Orlando, Florida? That's right. Our theme this year, powering your shop, fueling the fun. When you register at rwconference.com, you'll join industry leaders for an exclusive business building conference for auto repair shop owners, operators, and managers. This year, it's a new location. It's a new format. And it's going to be a whole lot of fun. We've got over 30 strategy sessions. We've got roundtables. We've got keynotes. And best of all, we've got lots of valuable networking to put you in proximity of some of the industry's leading operators so you can soak in their knowledge. Plus, we're looking for speakers. If you'd like to present a session, visit rwconference.com and under the conference tab, click call for speakers to throw your hat into the ring. Again, rwconference.com to register and I'll see you in Orlando. And now, on to our guest. Well, hey, Shari. Welcome to Ratchet & Rich Radio. I am so excited to be here with you, Chris. I love the innovation that Ratchet & Rich is doing. Oh, thank you so much. No, it's great to have you on. Uh, it's been good to run into you at various conferences. It was great to have you at the Ratchet & Rich Management Conference uh, out in Colorado. You know, you were a very popular person there. Um, yeah, well, employee retention, it's a popular topic, right? Um, we want to do it. We're just not sure how right now there's some gaps going on and you've got to take action today as a leader. That's, that's what we need. Yeah, absolutely. So you're a leadership consultant, uh, you know, you specialize in workplace harmony. Tell us about the work you do. 
So um, for the last dozen years, um, I have, well, and I can say for the last 30 years, right, people have been my passion, um, helping people with mm -hmm. their businesses, right, that business acumen, making sure I worked with a consultant with his, um, he coaches hundreds of shops, but his model was kind of broken. And so we fixed his model. And so different things, right? I've been in the financial district um, and some different insurance, the trades, landscaping. And what I do is I go in and we audit. Like we take a look at the employees, the leadership, the business, um, what their goals are, are they reaching them? And um, I work on the people first strategy. So I know the KPIs and I get it. However, there's lots of people working on that. The gap I see is working on the people, um, on the relationships, on the understanding of each other. And for me, I accept that people are the most valuable thing on this earth. And yet, if if we look today from where we were 2000 years ago, technologically, we have advanced greatly. Yes, people-wise, we have not. So if the people of the old days, a friend, if Jesus walked today, he'd be a little disappointed in us and our lack of people connection, people value, and how we treat that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, I forgot who it was. It was one of those influencers who coined that phrase human capital, just the value of people, you know, people-driven businesses, people-driven, you know, focused uh, on business and making sure that you take care of those who are in the business first. It's kind of that the whole servant leadership aspect, making sure the people around you are advancing and growing and are happy and competent in the work they do. Right. Well, and I, you know, um, I like to get their attention and there's so much noise in the world. It's really hard to get their attention. So Chris, <clears throat> let's be real. I go in and we all get naked. That's what happens. Oh, now everybody in the audience is like, oh my God, what is she talking about? Look, it has nothing to do with your clothing. It has everything to do with your spirit. Like imagine yourself standing in front of a mirror naked. I don't know about you, but I pose and suck it in because I'm not really happy with what I see sometimes. Just saying, I'm real, right? And most of us do that. However, eventually you got to breathe. You got to breathe. So I think what the new workforce is looking for is that leader that's willing to stand in front of the mirror naked. And you're confident enough in the things that you know that you're willing to admit and live through the things you don't know. Um, and I know that sounds simple, but leadership today um, and from is still acting as they were 20 years ago, right? We're starting to shift. We're starting to change. But um, we believe as leaders, we have to have all the answers. And if we don't, we kind of uh, redirect and, and reason our way and justify our reason, our way out of that. Um, for instance, an employee, let's use technicians. We're in the automotive industry, right? You bring in a technician. He's a great technician. He's working well. It's been a year, maybe six months, maybe a year and a half. Then all of a sudden things are going downhill and the owner is on him. I'm watching this right now. The owner's on him almost daily that he is not, oh my gosh, look, he's on the phone or look, he's this. And these are small snippet moments. Now, granted, we're, we're, we're only getting 75% productivity out of the gentleman, right? Um, but at the same time, how... Did somebody who was so great in the beginning get to this point? And what leaders are doing, and it's like, damn, he's burnt out, or now he's doing this. And I'd like to suggest that the first answer is to go back to the mirror. How are you treating him differently? What happened that, um, and ask them, what can I do differently to support your success? Because I feel like maybe I'm not doing that right now. And I'd like to know from you what I can do better. Because I'm going to tell you that employees, like 75% of the workforce um, states that stress is, is affecting them and their relationships. And 66% are losing sleep. 
So our workforce is different. They have different demands today and needs today than they ever have. They're not entitled. I disagree. I think they're picky. I think they're looking for really good leadership and they realize it hasn't been there and they're willing to stand their ground. No, absolutely. We have this thing in the on the corporate side, right, where people gripe and complain that, you know, the reward for doing great work is more work. You know, do you feel like that also happens in the shop? The You know, the reward for being more for being highly efficient is getting you know more work to do as opposed to, you know, being recognized. If you're not having the right conversations, I absolutely agree that can happen. And I always say, look, communication isn't the problem, right? You hear that all the time. Communication is the biggest problem on a team. I highly disagree. I think that if we're thinking that, that's why communication is still a problem because we aren't addressing the right problem, right? You're looking at the hip instead of the knee and the knee is really the thing that needs to be um, taken care of. And so for me, it's about the right conversation and that's talking to the right person about the right thing. And the first mistake we do is we talk about the right thing to all the wrong people, everybody but the person that that thing has to do with. I'm just saying, just throwing that out there. We're just being vulnerable, right? And then you have to talk to them at the right time right? Not when their glass is red or they're mm -hmm. full or they're certainly not in the moment of the anxiety, right? Um, then you have to talk to them mm -hmm. in the right tone. I can say things in a different tone and it comes across a hundred percent differently. Look, I'm a very direct communicator. I'm kind of like a little squirrel that drives a mining bulldozer. Now I didn't get that years ago. So you can imagine I was a little much now that I know I am enough and I am a lot. I can make that adjustment. So I, and I need to make that adjustment when I'm talking to employees or even owners or, or CEOs of multi-million dollar companies that I deal with. We, we have different ways of talking, right? And then lastly, it's about the right intention. Like, am I talking to you so that you know you're wrong and bad? Am I talking to you to show you the power that I have? Or am I talking to you because I really care and I know that your human capital potential is real and I want to make that happen for you. So those five things are important in the right conversation. And I think it's a lot, Chris, but it's simple. It's just not easy. Yeah. So where does a leader begin to learn to communicate better and differently? In the mirror. I... I I think for me, what I've seen in my experience, right, did I quantify that enough, um, is that as leaders, we're, we're working to be so much that instead of looking in the mirror, we look outside of ourselves. Look, what is the thing you have the most control of? What is it? What's the thing you have the most control of, Chris? It's you, you, yourself, right, yeah, right? Yourself. So answers, the answers that are most um, reliable, that are going to be the most effective lie within you not within what other somebody else does. If you have a conversation, two people aren't understanding each other, right? Well, they're not speaking right, or they don't come to me at the right time, or they don't. I hear that a lot, right? Instead of, hmm, how can I make that different? One of the things I do in my life and is I, I look in the mirror first, like what did I do that caused that to happen? Was it my tone? Did I come at them at the wrong time? Did I say it in the wrong way? How do I need to effectively lean into them? What normally happens is we hire people like us, we hang around people like us, we expect people to be like us, right? So we act like us, we look for our same cues in them. There's a mistake. Now, I um, certified in DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion with Kadia um, a few years back. And so that's part of my space as well, um, because I think it's an important space that we're in. And what we need to do is lean into each other. Imagine, Chris, that instead of me expecting you to be like me, I instead learned who I was first, 
What are my styles? I know that I am a doer driver. I like to be involved in 15 things at once. I'm an agent of change. And I apologize a lot more than I ask for permission. It's just me. So I tell people, look, if that doesn't work for you, I am so not your girl. And that's okay. I'm also very intentional and resourceful. So I want purpose. I want to maximize the use of all of the resources that we have. So I get, it's like a very sharp pencil, right? Mm -hmm. So when I talk to somebody who maybe is more people oriented, needs one more thing at one thing at a time, is altruistic or harmonious, right? Um, I'm very objective. Does it work? My husband, believe it or not, harmonious. What is the situation? And I appreciate that because he sometimes reminds me, hey, hello. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Because right, people are important to me, but I have this internal way that I have that, that I just am who I am. That's my human capital that I bring to the table. It's most of your CEOs, by the way. Um, we tend to be very task-driven, very ROI-oriented, right? And sometimes the people portion of it isn't there. Now, I um, got my master's in axiology. That's human value. Axiology is um, the study of human value. And um, last year, because I know that people-first strategies is what makes a business work. I know with beyond a shadow of a doubt, that employee happiness is the ultimate profit driver in every business. And if employees aren't happy, it's the leader. Because as the leader goes, so goes the company. So I think if we learned to start with ourselves, to understand how we show up and what other people's perceptions, right? Because perception is reality. Other people's perceptions mm -hmm. are us. If we understand that better, then the, the, we, the second step is that we learn about somebody else. What are their styles? What are their drivers? What motivates them, right? What are their strengths and their weaknesses, their energizers, their stressors? How do I manage them? How do I motivate them? What is their ideal environment? Right? If I can understand that about people, and then I know how the two we can lean in, like I lean in and speak a little slower for someone that gives me the deer in the headlight look when I start talking my normal tone, which is really fast. See how I shifted that? So it's really about behavioral flexibility. Um, and so when I go into companies, this is what I teach. We go in, I use predictive technology. And instead of waiting a year for to get through the stories that you tell me to find out the truth, we just pull out the truth and get naked right away. That's what I talk about. It's painful. Um, it's fun. And it gets great results. <laughs> oh, man, what a first date. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a squirrel on a bulldozer. <laughs> It's my passion. Yeah. And I had an incident 21 years ago where I had a 10% chance of living. Um, I had some really good discussions with God about what my, in my intentions and my purpose was here. And I believe that is about people. And I've had a lot of experiences in my life where, look, leadership hasn't been the best that I've even experienced. Um, there was one time I disengaged. So I know what it's like. And this was with a gentleman that I had great respect for, but he was just kind of a jerk as a leader, right? So we all go through it. We all have stories. I don't mention names mm -hmm. because look, if someone's going through that, they're carrying a pretty heavy bag too, right? They've got some baggage going on. And so it's really about empathy and understanding. Yeah. I just think that's how we solve things. Yeah. And I think uh, it brings credence to the idea that we need to be more one-on-one -on -one focused. You know, I think the shop owners, you know, I know shop, there's a lot of shop owners who do them and do them well and they're effective with them. And there's shop owners who don't do them regularly and, you know, they have their results. But I think that's how you engage and keep people in the shop, man. They have to know you care. They have to know that these, these I'm going to be meeting them with, you know, my shop owner once a month or once a week. And you're, you're showing them that you value them as a person. 
You care. You want to hear about their goals. You want to hear about what drives them. And like you were talking about before, you know, you have to know what motivates people. And you don't know what motivates people if you don't talk to them. Some people are motivated by money, so you give them bonuses. Some people are motivated by more time with their family. They're motivated by having time off to do things they want to do or just a sense of balance, you know. And, you know, so I think one-on-ones are the key to, to what you're talking about, just sitting down with people and getting mm-hmm. to know them, the people that you employ. And I hear people listening right now going, oh my God, I don't know where I'm going to find the time. I just don't have the time. Or they get it, start doing it, and then they don't because things get in the way and I get it. But I have to share with you that like customers, right? They ask us for price on the phone because they really want to ask us, can I trust you and will you take care of me? That's what they want to know. Can I trust you Mm. and will you take care of me? And that's not about price. So if I, I suggest that when you think money is motivating somebody, which by the way, money is more motivating in today's world than it used to be, right? Employees, and it sounds really weird, it's counterintuitive, but I think that our workforce understands quality of life. And they understand that quality of life is based in your ability to bring resources into your life. And that is based in money, right? But we all know we shouldn't chase money. So when they say money, dig into that conversation a little bit more. I suggest that there may be something else that is like, I don't feel valued. So I want more money so I can have a better lifestyle so I can feel more valued, right? There's some underneath current going on. And a lot of people have learned um, and are using DISC, right? DISC is about observable behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, It's watered down. The stuff online is kind of crazy. I don't really advise that you go on and take the free ones. Find somebody who has one that's still scientifically validated. It's important. And that's above the water. So think if you're on a boat on the ocean, what do you see? Yeah, an occasional dolphin, maybe a whale, another boat, a wave, some seaweed floating, right? But that's just the surface. What lies beneath that is all of the whales and all of the schools of fish and all of the rocks and all, I mean, so much stuff is beneath the ocean, right? You're only seeing 15%. I suggest that's the same with the team. So when you're just looking at DISC and how we behave and you're connecting like that with your team, you're connecting very shallowly. What you need to do is you need to involve the other four sciences of self. There's five sciences of self, right? We have observable behavior. That's how we do things. We have driving forces. That's why we do things. We have competencies, right? That's 25 competencies that superior performers need to, right, have on board. And we have EQ. A lot of people, EQ has been really popular, emotional intelligence. How can I um, see what a situation is? Do I have self-regulation? Do I have social regulation? Um, Do I have motivation? What does that look like? And then acumen, how I see the world and how I see myself in the world. And it sounds like a lot. But what I do, Chris, is I go and I make it simple. We figure out those things. Mm -hmm. We identify specifically in writing what motivates, what manage, how to manage, and what the ideal environment is for people. Um, We make communication agreements. Look, this is how I like to be communicated. Um, This is how I don't. I remember one of the teams um, that you get a little list of here's your 10 ways that you like to be communicated with, 10 things don't communicate with me. We talk about which ones are the three most important. And one time a gentleman, it was a technician, said, so my, I said, tell us your most important one. And he said, stay three feet away from me. Everybody in the room laughed. But that was real for him. And we got into a big discussion. Somebody else in the room said, well, I have stay three feet away from me too. So I think we need to stay six feet away. But that was his personal space. You have to be invited into his personal space. And when you stepped in that without asking, it made him uncomfortable. Um, changed the dynamic of how we relate with him and how comfortable he was in the shop. Hugely. 
And what do you say to people or you know, to, to a shop owner who may think that, well, I'm babying this person or this isn't the way we need to do things. We need to do things the way they've always been done. I'm, you know, you need to follow the rules, hear all the rules. Because I, I think I tend to think that maybe in a business sense, in a business sense, you take a, an approach like parenting. You've got your house rules and then each kid has almost their own individual rules because they all tick differently. Things that, you know, they, everything that moves them is different from one another. Is that the same in a, in a business environment, like in a shop where you've got like the standard, here's the rules of the shop. And then here's, here's how I treat John, Jane, Jeff, and, you know, Joelle. Absolutely. hundred percent, Chris, right? It is that everybody is different and that's what we need to look at. We have certain, we have the rules of the shop, but everybody's there. I used to tell my kids, look, I don't treat you the same. I treat you fairly, but I treat you fairly for who you are as an individual. And that's different. Right. Different. Right. And so um, that we talk about that in DEI, right? Is it equality or is it equity? Because equality, everybody's different, right? We're, we get the same chair, but the same chair doesn't work for us. Different chairs work for different people. And so equitably, if we want to make it equitable to people, then we are shifting like you just said, right? To make it fair and reasonable for that unique individual. You can't get where you're going the same way you got where you are. Ooh, that's, that's what good. I want to, you said, what do you say to shop owners? And the mean, the minute you said that, I, <laughs> I want to tell them you don't get where you're going the same way you got where you are. You just don't. Yeah. Talk about vulnerability. Cause I think that, you know, you talk about emotional EQ, you talk about leadership ability, you talk about getting in people's lives. You talk about just, you know, diving in, but some of that takes vulnerability. It takes, you know, being available to people. How important is it for shop owners to be those two things? A hundred percent, highly important. And that's the problem, right? Is that we're, we're, we're afraid we're going to get eaten by the coyote. And quite frankly, I've watched it happen. So I always say, I, I love to live in between two rock walls. I'm typically balancing a foot on each one and it's leaders and employees, right? Um, or supervisors and direct reports or mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. I, I have a leadership circle. I don't think leadership exists on the top. There is no top and bottom. If anything, the leader's on the bottom. It's how do we serve, right? And I truly believe that we're in the middle and it's about this big circular thing that's happening with us. But I just think that we need to really understand um, a little bit better about how things have changed and things have changed. And for the better, I raised millennials. I thought like a millennial enough that I raised them. So all of you with millennials that are frustrated with millennials, go look in the mirror. <laughs> go look in the mirror. What did you teach them? Now, you might not have known this was the result of it, right? Of make sure your voice is heard. You have value. Not all leaders are in the right position that they belong. So don't follow just anybody, right? Validate their leadership. All of those things. That's what the millennials are doing. And Gen X and Gen Z are, are right there too. It's just what it is. And I think that they are pulling us to a point like Dr. Robert Hartman, who um, was the uh, scientist behind axiology. He believed that human value, right? He didn't understand how people got a, a, a medal in war for killing but when you killed them on the street, you got put in jail. What's what's the difference there? They're both humans, right? I'm, I'm just saying, what's the difference there that we're doing? It's a deep, he, he actually spent, and he was only 14 as a Jew back in Hitler days. So there was a lot going on with this young man. He grew mm -hmm. up and he ended up in the United States at a university. I mean, just some great stories with him, but it's really about human value and every human has value. Um, and sometimes, no, they can't do the job. 
you're right. After we've worked with them and given them chances, maybe there's a way that we can help them find what they're better fit for. A hundred percent. So anyone listening that has that skeptical, right, mindset, like, oh, stop, I'm not going to listen anymore because, right, sometimes it's just them. You're right. Sometimes it is about 12%. Most of the time, it's our leadership and how we, like leaders telling them to be vulnerable, I have to turn around and tell the workforce Stop eating them alive like a coyote. You want them to be vulnerable and transparent, but the minute they are, you tear them apart. You say that I could do their job or you don't listen to them or whatever that is. Stop. We can't do that. It comes from both sides, Chris. It's not just the leaders. It's the workforce. Our workforce is used to working with old leadership. Our leadership is using old leadership styles and not everybody. It's changing. I see it. I watch it. I have clients that are doing it. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. So I think I don't want to bring the gloom and doom, right? I want to say that things really are changing, um, but it's kind of like the EVs, right? Um, we're changing fast, but maybe too fast, but maybe not fast enough, but we're not really sure. So it's a very flexible in flow environment. And I think like you said, one-on-ones, listening, making people a priority and taking the time to make sure we do that. What are the two things you're going to stop doing today so that you have more time for your employees? Right on. Yeah. I think one thing that as a parent would help me to become a better parent, which I think does translate into business is when I check in with my kids, I always ask them how they think I'm doing. Oh, how old are your and kids? I think, you know, as a, as a uh, 16, 11 and eight. Wow. So, so often I'll check in with them and say, how do you guys think I'm doing? Am I doing a good job being dad? Like, what, what, what would you like to see me do, you know, do differently? How, you know, am I treating you fair? Are you happy? Like, and, you know, I think they like that because it's not just me always being the authority figure, but it's me like being vulnerable, asking them how, I, how can I make their lives better? How can I adjust to their world a little bit better? And I think that also translates into the business world where a shop owner can sit down with one of his employees and say, hey, you know, how am I doing leading the shop? How am I doing working with you as an individual person? How, how am I coming across in general? And just get that feedback. I mean, what do you think about that? I think that's spot on, Chris. And I admire your parenting. Um, I, I'm chuckling on the inside because I'm picturing your kids going into the workforce with that thought. I, I'm just I'm picturing <laughs> them, right? Like I can see them at the review. Well, I, and it's funny. So, cause I trained someone as, as well. Like when you do an interview, how to get a job is you have to ask them questions. Like, tell me a little bit about your culture. Do you believe you have a culture or a climate? Right. I mean, we really get into this stuff and it, it works. People love it. They yeah. love it. So I, I can't wait to your kid. I want to see your kids in an interview. I just want to be a little fly on the wall because they are going to say, well, I'd like to give you some feedback. Right. <laughs> that, I'm just telling you, there's a parenting thing. That's how we change the workforce 100%, right? Um, you know, minds speak up and they say what needs to be said. And sometimes that's a little painful. Now, they're not as direct as me. Uh, one child is. One is very good at flowering it a little bit. Um, she's teaching me. Although, like, mom, here's how you could flower that a little bit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> right? We learn. I'm 61. Yeah. I'm next Tuesday, as a matter of fact. And um, I'm still learning. So I think if we... We're, if you're confident, look, confident and ego exist in the same box. If you fill the box with ego, you don't have room for confidence. If you fill it with confidence, you don't have room for ego. And here's the difference. Ego eats. Ego eats and this is how it eats. It's always bringing attention to itself, talking about what it does. And it's putting other people down so it feels better. Just saying, that's ego. Confidence is quieter, mm -hmm. right? And confidence feeds other people. It helps other people succeed because when they succeed, you know, you've done your job. 
as a leader. Um, it was probably about 15 years ago. And my daughter said to me, um, I had founded a nonprofit for bully prevention, actually 25 years now. Oh my gosh, Chris, time is passing. Um, and it was the first one in the nation. So I got the attention of the attorney general and the state superintendent. They formed the very first bully free um, for me task force, by the way, right before Columbine, um, influenced by a mom that wouldn't go away. That's me. Right. And the bullying curriculum you see nationwide comes from that task force. So I was able to change something nationwide with other people because we put our voices together. We put our voices together. Mm. And so when we can put our voices together by listening and learning and collaborating, right? Ideation, innovation, it's when people have a voice. When you shut things down, like even bad ideas, I say them because sometimes a bad idea leads to the best idea ever, right? So there is no no. Um, when you're creative. So I, I think that that's really important that we learn that as leaders. And look, we don't have time to have the one-to-ones, which means we also don't have time for new training. We don't want to feel uncomfortable. But if you take that box and fill it with confidence and you feel comfortable in what you know, right? I see a lot of husbands and wives that work together in shops and it's the husband's industry. The wife's come in, maybe she's done some bookkeeping, but now she's building the business. She does more, but the husband feels a little uncomfortable, right? Because that's, they know how to do fix vehicles, right? 75% of our owners were technicians. They're not fixing them anymore. They're they're supposed to work on the business, not in the business. So, which is uncomfortable for them, right? Because their value has been associated with being a technician, finding the problem on the car and fixing it. Now, how do they take that and transfer it into business acumen? How do they do that? And so there's this weird dynamic that I've been working with, with husbands and wives to get them to know that everyone succeeds. It's not a competition. It's a collaboration. Yeah, no, I think that's phenomenal. I think that's a that's a great um, perspective there that, you know, it's not a competition. It's a collaboration because, you know, when we talk about a shop environment, it's all about we're on the same team with a common goal. You know, we all want to work together with this common goal of helping people to have safe vehicles on the road back to what, you know, back to their lives. They don't want to be without their vehicle stranded for any amount of time. And so we got that common goal of making sure they get what they came for as quickly as possible, as safe as possible. In a great way that they talk about it to everybody and bring their friends, neighbors, and and, and relatives back, right? Um, yeah. And, and it's it's a lot in today's market. I, I, I get it. It's not easy to run a business. That's why not everybody does it. Um, and then we have our multi-shop owners, right? There's another um, dynamic to talk about. I just think if we made a shift and started working from people-first strategies to understand ourselves scientifically, right? Look, we talk about it with the cars. Do you tell them their brakes are bad or do you start using your little measurement tools, right? That show them or show them the tread depth on the tire and do those things. So I suggest that Fortune 500 companies have been using it for years and it's time that we mainstream it. And it's predictive technology. It's scientific technology that shows us who you are from the inside out. And then we utilize that knowledge to have more one-to-ones, to be more connected, to set up our goals to personally and professionally help the person, the unit, and the business. I tell everybody, picture your business as a person, as a person. I, in my shop, I, uh, my husband and I, um, have. it'll be 20 years this next year that we've had our shop, a master mechanic in Reno. Um, we actually were featured in Ratchet and Rinse once. We have that big, we have a big plaque on the wall because it really made us proud, right? That y'all liked our shop. And um, we really work hard to understand that every day is a new day and we need to work together and we need to understand each other to bring it together. And so 
it, it yep. right? It's just important. Yeah. Treat it like doing a DBI. And I'm, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to just diagnose myself. I'm going to diagnose my team. We're going to figure out where the holes are. And we're going to come together. And I think it's more time. I think our owners are too busy doing too much. They're not delegating enough. Yeah. And we don't make the time for the one-to-ones. You're totally right with that. I, I know I keep going back to it. I just think it's really important to do. Um, I had to, so I'm, I'm back in my shop one day a week for about four hours. That's all they can handle. Um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. let's do this. Let's do that. And then when <laughs> I come back and, and then they have to get more. My husband's the operations director. He is there every day um, and working with our team. But we're really working on our secession plan right now um, and in building it in the yeah. next two to three years. Right. So um, that we're ready to step back um, a, a bit more from the shop. I mean, I already have. And I wasn't there for like six years because I was on the road and doing some things. But I've really taken time to put our partnership back together with my husband because that's how I got in this industry. I wouldn't be where I am without him. Um, it's named a master mechanic because he is the master in my mind and in my heart, hundred percent. And he has um, mentored so many young kids through apprenticeship programs and leadership programs. And I really appreciate him because he made that change, right? From the technician to the business owner. Um, he does a great job with our marketing um, and our messaging that's fun and people really relate to. And so I think it's about understanding that change for yourself is hard and takes time. And that's where you need to start is look at you. How much time do you take for everybody else to put the team together, to be the leader, to pour into them, to find the tech that's giving you 32 to 34 hours and help him get to 40 to 45 hours a week and understanding maybe time management or something's going on that's just holding him back. How are you pouring into that? Or the service advisor that doesn't have the sale rate that he needs. How can he shift, right? It's about shifting. Look, when a high D, a high doer driver on the disc comes in, take their keys and let them go. When a high I comes on, ask them about their family, right? A high um, um, individual. So there's, there's different ways to handle people um, based on our differences. And so start with yours then learn about others, and then bridge the gap. That's really the, the three steps that are simple, just not easy. No, they're not. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was so much fun to talk shop and talk about you know how to correlate parenting and those various personality styles, really to help shop owners become more you know, well-rounded. Well, it's the people first part, right, Chris? Thank you. I love what it you do. Um, I feel honored that... Um, you felt like there was a conversation here for us to have. And I really appreciate being here. Ratchet and Wrench is a leader in our industry. And you continue to look for the new ideas that bring us into the future, right? And that's why I love Ratchet and Wrench. I know that Ratchet and Wrench has its eye on the future for us and that you are having the hard conversations that bring us forward. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sari. Thanks, Chris. That's going to do it for us today at Ratchet and Wrench Radio. Be sure to check out other episodes on your favorite podcast player and leave us a review if you found the episode to be helpful. Also, follow Ratchet and Wrench on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can get our newsletter delivered to your inbox four times a week, Ratchet and Wrench Insider, at ratchetandwrench.com forward slash subscribe. Thanks for listening and may the rest of your day be the best of your day. And we'll see you next week.